Good morning. Uh, if I don't know you, my name is Joe Johnson, and I forgot how big this stand is. Um, and I am the RU now the REF campus minister at Mississippi State. Uh, before that, I was the REF campus minister at Birmingham Southern. And for those years, um, my family and I were here at Red Mountain Church. And so uh, every now and then I get to come back, uh, usually on three-day weekends. I think I've preached the last three Memorial Day weekends, which I'm proud about, three-day preacher. And, um, but I, I, before we even get into this, I just want to say we miss y'all. Um, we love Starkville, Mississippi. We love the ministry. We love the town. We're surprised by that. We love it. And, um, but one of the things we miss the most is just simply you. And so thanks for Matt and Charles calling me. And, um, we think about the highs and lows of our time in Birmingham. And uh, this church was here for us, loved us, encouraged us, uh, let me preach and serve communion and mess up and um, encourage me some more. And uh, we really, we really miss it here. So it's just really good to be back. So if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. If I haven't said hi to you yet, um, we'd love to do that afterward. So we are going to be in Luke 15 this morning, if you have your Bibles, Luke 15. And I had to get special permission from Charles on this because I know y'all just finished a Luke series. And you're going to start a psalm series next week, I believe, and I didn't want to touch that series, and so I decided to pick a passage in Luke that y'all have not covered. And so we're going to be at Luke 15, the first seven verses, which is the parable of the lost sheep. And before we even really get into it, uh, a little bit about parables. Parables are kind of a, um, a more unique characteristic in the Gospel of Luke. There's a lot of parables in Luke where Jesus tells these stories that are earthly in content, but spiritual in point. Uh, Meaning they're just kind of normal stories about fathers and sons and farmers and seeds, things that his audience would know quite well. But his point is a spiritual one, a heavenly one. And sometimes the point he makes in these stories is actually quite sharp. Because parables of Jesus are actually not meant to make things easier for us. They're meant to make it harder for us. Because he tells these stories to confront our preconceived notions about who God is and how he works. Uh, They're meant to sort of push back on our false assumptions about who God is and how he works, so that in that frustration, we may be able to see him for who he really is, as Jesus reveals more of what the kingdom is like. And I'm sure y'all have all experienced something like this. I have met a ton of people in masks this past year. Students who arrived at campus at Birmingham Southern, they they had to wear masks all the time. Uh, Mississippi State, they wear them a little bit less, but still meet students in masks. And uh, at some point or another, I finally see their full face uh, at a lunch or coffee or they take off their mask. And 100% of the time, they never look the way I think they're going to look. It's not bad or good. I'm not saying they're ugly or better looking. It's just they take the mask off. And it's for some reason, my brain filled in what I thought the bottom half of their face looks like. And every time it's wrong. That's not what I thought you were going to look like. Uh, that's how the parables work. Jesus is unveiling more and more of what the kingdom of God is like, how God works, what the gospel is, and every time it's different than we think. And every time we encounter one of these, God is more than we expect. And so with that in mind, let's read this parable, the parable of the lost sheep, Luke 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering near Jesus to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine 
in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray one more time and ask for God's help. Uh, God, your word tells us that all men are like grass and our glories are like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fade. But your word is the thing that stands forever. And so we come to your word as your people and we want to see you, Jesus, more clearly. So may it be so this morning as we look at this by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this uh, summer started quickly. I think my students were gone April 27th or something like that. And so we've been in summer for a little while now, and orientations have already started for the fall. So some schools aren't even out yet. We're already orienting freshmen coming in for the fall, and there are 16 orientations over this summer. And orientation is basically a one-day event where students get there and they um, get a tour of campus. Uh, They pick their classes, their class schedule. They get to know their dorms, a lot of lectures about how college works. The parents are told what they need to know. And at the end of each day, there is an organization fair. And that's where I come into play. Where there are uh, 60 tables outside. uh, Where each organization, Greek houses, uh, clubs, campus ministries, all of us are out there. And the students are forced to walk in the middle of all these tables as we, you know, all but pounce on them to get them involved in our stuff. And you look at their faces and they're, they're tired And they're just sort of paralyzed of what's before them, what to get involved with, what are they really looking for. Because students come to campus looking for a lot of things. Uh, They come trying to find, hopefully, a career, uh, a major. Uh, They come looking to find themselves, their personality, what they are without their high school or their parents. They come looking for a spouse, probably the most important thing they're looking for and uh, spend the most time looking for. They come to find, maybe, in a place like RUF, um, they want to find God. And that search of finding things doesn't stop in college. We're all still looking for things in life. Uh, Finding stability in the craziness of uh, young families. Uh, Finding joy in our career that we thought we'd enjoy more than we actually do. Uh, Finding our way in this world that is uh, politically crazy, and we don't know what to say or to think anymore finding ourselves, and maybe some of us are here saying, I just want to find God in this world. And those are good things to desire. They really are. But Jesus takes that thought of trying to find God and flips it on its head. In this parable where he presents us with a question that maybe Christianity is not simply another way to try to find God, but maybe Christianity is the story of a God who finds his people. And that maybe the Christian life is not a life trying to find peace and find hope, but maybe the Christian life looks more like living as a found, loved, and cared for person. Uh, Because in this parable, we see simply this, that we have a God who delights in finding his lost people. He delights in it. And so as we walk through this short parable, I just want to look at those two thoughts, being lost And then being found. It's the story of all of our hearts. It's the story of this world. And it's a great story. So first, 
being lost. Jesus is here. I know we're kind of plopping down in the middle of this. He's being attacked in this chapter, so to speak. That Jesus has kind of grown to a lot of fame. We're at Luke 15 now. He's done a lot of things. He's healed people. He's walked on water. He's healed a leper. He's healed the blind. He's fed people. He's, he's done all of these things that only God can do. And he's said things that only God can say, like your sins are forgiven. And so a group of people that hear about Jesus kind of a lot is the Pharisees. Very familiar to a lot of us. The Pharisees are religious workers. They're me. They're pastors. They're helping people engage with God and live holy lives. And what they're hearing about Jesus is that this guy seems to be claiming he's the Messiah. This guy seems to be claiming the one the Old Testament has talked about, the one that will crush the head of Satan, the one that will redeem Israel, the one that will make everything right again. He seems to be doing things and saying things to claim to be that. But when we come to see him, what we see is not what we expected at all. And he's hanging out with prostitutes, uh, tax collectors, which would be like the modern or the first century like Jewish mafia. He's hanging out with people that aren't just like marginalized, but bad people that no one wants to be around. Those are the people who flock to Jesus. Kind of keep that in the back of your brain for a second. We're going to come back to that later. But the Pharisees come to Jesus and they see this. And what their attack is, is a, you cannot be who you're claiming to be. You have to be a false prophet. This cannot be the Messiah. Look who you're around. Look what you're doing. And on that attack, Jesus tells a story. He actually tells three stories in a row, three parables. And they're the parables of lost things, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. But I want to focus on that first one that doesn't get a ton of airtime, but it's one of my favorites because it's the most absurd. So Jesus, in response to this, answers, there's a man who has a hundred sheep and one of them goes missing. And so the shepherd goes and gets the one, this the sheep, brings them home, and then throws a party to celebrate. It's kind of interesting. We are compared to sheep more than any other thing in creation in Scripture. And that's not a good thing. Uh, sheep are dumb. Sheep get lost easily. Sheep cannot survive on their own. But if sheep are on their own and unsheared, they will grow diseases upon themselves. That And bear with me, I read a lot about sheep this week. When a sheep gets away from its flock, what it will naturally do is just wander without any instincts of survival whatsoever. It'll get to the point where it's so overwhelmed with fear and anxiety that, and you'll never be able to relate to an animal more than this, it will be so overwhelmed that it'll simply just lay down and give up. Just take a nap in the middle of the field. It's basically thinking, I'm going to die, I might as well rest and enjoy it. And Jesus paints that picture And says, that picture of a lost, helpless, all but dead sheep, that's like the people I came for. Lost. And we all know what this lostness is. It's actually one of the major themes of the Bible. That when the Bible talks about being lost, it talks about it in a macro way, a big picture way, and a micro way. The macro picture of lostness in the Bible is that God created the world perfect. Heaven and earth, perfect. Perfect. And man and woman in it, and they were created perfect. And in that place, they were able to relate to God unhindered by sin. They were able to relate to one another unhindered by sin. They were able to relate to their work unhindered by sin. And it was glorious, and it was wonderful. 
And then temptation came. And temptation came and the question, did God really say, you cannot eat of that tree? Surely not. Surely you won't die. That maybe there's something there that he's hiding from you, that he's leaving out, that maybe you're better on your own, that maybe he doesn't love you. Isn't that the first temptation? To question God's character and his love? And then in that moment, when sin came into the world, it's that moment that all sadness, pain, and hardship comes from. It's that moment that we can point to is that's where cancer comes from. That's where racism comes from. That's where the brokenness of this world comes from. That moment that the macro picture of lostness in the Bible is simply this, that without, without God, the world is lost. It makes no sense. But then there's a micro picture of lostness that we all feel. That whether you've been a Christian your whole life, you're new to this thing, we all know what the hymn writer means. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Our hearts still know that lostness, that wanderingness. Feeling lost in the rat race of our world, just trying to keep up, keep our head above water. Lost in being bad parents and bad spouses and bad kids. Lost in our career, being obsessed with things we never thought we would have been obsessed with. Lost in sin that we thought, by now I would be done with this. Lost in just not even knowing ourselves anymore. Lost in still trying to prove something said about us wrong from childhood. We all know this lostness. Do you know yours? How your heart prones to wander? But maybe a better question, do, do we know our desire to be found? Because if you look at this sheep, this picture that Jesus gives us, what the sheep needs the most is to be found. This sheep's hope is not coming to itself and realizing it needs to go home. The sheep can't do anything to save itself. The greatest need of this sheep is to be found by the good shepherd. We all desire to be found. To be seen and known and loved exactly where we are. Uh, my kids are at a fantastic age that's exhausting too. Um, but right now, my son, he's just a happy kid. But, but all I need to do to make him smile is to sort of crouch and to put my hands up like this when I get home from work, like the pouncing position. And he knows dad's about to get him. And he, when I do that, he like kind of runs away, but you can kind of tell like he really doesn't want to run away. And if I'm not moving fast enough, he'll actually start inching closer to me. Because he, re- he really wants to be got by his dad. He doesn't want to get away. He-, he wants to be picked up. He wants to be tickled. He wants to be thrown on the couch. He wants to be roughhoused with. He wants to be in the arms of his dad. We all have that desire to be found. Not found is the perfect picture we're able to put out there, but found exactly who we are and where we are and our needs and our weaknesses and our failures and our sin to be found and loved and in the arms of the perfect father, the perfect shepherd. Do you still feel your need to be found and to learn how to live as a found person? Being lost. It's the story of all of our hearts, but it's a great story. Because of this, being found, point two. What does it mean to be found? These three parables in a row are about finding lost things. A lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. 
Um, but this one, again, its characteristic is that it's absurd. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean what this parable is trying to bring out is the over-the-topness of God's love for his people, that he loves differently than we love, that his love is unmeasured and unbound. And so this parable, I think, points out two absurd things. And the first absurd thing is this, the shepherd's pursuit of the sheep. So this is what would happen. The sheep would go astray and the shepherd would realize it has 99 sheep in open country and goes after the one. And if if your brain works like mine, a question pops in. This is like a tangent. Is that responsible shepherding? To leave 99 sheep behind to go for the one? Is he trading 99 for one? And I cannot tell you how much ink is spilled over that question. And commentaries go back and forth that, yes, it's responsible. They're in open country. They'll be taken care of. Or a flock that size would have two shepherds. Or, no, it's not responsible. That's the point. It's supposed to be absurd of how much this shepherd loves this one sheep. And whenever commentaries disagree like that, you kind of know, like, no one knows the answer to the question. Because the parable has no interest in answering that. Because in this parable, it's the story of this particular shepherd who loves each specific sheep so much that he's willing to leave the 99 for the one. Doesn't matter which one goes, he's going after it. And that this shepherd would go, not knowing really where the sheep is, has to wander. And when he gets to the sheep and taking that nap in the middle of the field, ready to die, he's actually walking into a dangerous situation. It's basically bait. He might have to fight off predators. He might have to be in a dangerous place to do this. And he would get to the sheep. But think about what that sheep's thinking. It's ready to get eaten. And so a shepherd that comes up to it trying to rescue it, that sheep's actually going to fight back. It's going to bite. And so the shepherd has to bind its legs, throw it over his shoulder, and carry that thing all the way back to the flock where all of a sudden the sheep fighting the whole way finds itself back home and then just goes about grazing again. The shepherd will stop at nothing for the one. Leaving the 99, he goes for the one. And isn't that the picture of salvation? That this isn't the story of a sheep coming back 50% and the shepherd going 50%. This isn't the story of the sheep picking itself up by its bootstraps. This is the story of the perfect love of the shepherd that does all of the work to find and bring home his sheep. That Jesus is the one that leaves the 99 for the one. He leaves glory at the right hand of the Father. He doesn't need us. And yet he leaves all of that to take on flesh. To become killable and hurtable and vulnerable. To rescue his people from a situation they could never rescue themselves from. To die, to rise again. In order to bring his sheep home. It's absurd. But it's gospel. But that's actually not the most absurd thing about this parable. I think it's the second thing, the celebration. Look at the passage again, verse 6. Jesus is still talking and still telling this story. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. One commentator was saying there's two hypothetical questions being asked where Jesus assumes the answer is yes. The first is... Which of you wouldn't go after that one sheep and bring him home? To which the commentator said, you know, most of the crowd might say, okay, yeah, I'll do that. 
But the second hypothetical question is, and which of you wouldn't throw a party with your neighbors to celebrate you brought that sheep home? And the answer to that question for all of us is no. You would spend more money celebrating than the sheep is actually worth. That if this was me, I would come home from that day of work complaining to my wife that I, you can't believe this, the sheep got away. I spent all day trying to get it. It bit me. My back hurts from carrying it back. And I brought it back. No thank you whatsoever. And he's probably going to do it again tomorrow. But that's not Jesus. Jesus here talks about that heaven is more excited about one sinner that repents than 99 righteous people who don't need any repentance, which we know doesn't exist. That Jesus is not a reluctant Savior. He's not a distant deity. He's not an uncaring God. But he is a Savior who delights in rescuing his people. That teachers teach and doctors heal and Jesus saves. It's what he does. It's what he loves doing. He celebrates the lost sheep that comes home. And all of us are looking for that kind of love. Uh, Jason Sterling, who I steal most of my illustrations from, is at Faith Prez, and he was at Ole Miss, RUF. He used to tell a story of his daughter. He's probably now in high school, but when she was younger, three or four years old, she used to crawl into his lap over and over again and ask her dad the question, is I pretty? And I can just think of, you know, our kids, they've been playing in the creek all day, the, the hair bows out, there's marker on the face, they smell bad, they get in your lap, and they ask, is I pretty? And what would a dad say? What would any good dad say to that? Yes, you're beautiful. I love you. And he said they would ask it over and over again, and I don't think that's a lack of confidence in the Sterling girls. I just think they want to experience the delight of their father again and again and again and again. All of us are actually asking that question, am I pretty to the world, to everything? Do you love me? Am I enough? Am I okay? Am I worth it? But we ask it to things that can never answer that question for us. Our bank accounts, our success, our reputation. We're looking for the love of the shepherd that would leave the 99 to get the one, and he would do it every time. That's what we're looking for. That celebrates one sinner who repents, the found sheep of the good shepherd. I'll close with this. Um, Paige Brown used to work for RUF, and she used to tell a story that she visited one of her spouses, or one one of her spouses, one of her brothers, and um, she visited them and uh, went to church with them Sunday morning. And at that service was a baptism. And there was four boys being baptized, four brothers. And the pastor told the story of these, that these were actually four brothers adopted from an orphanage in Russia. And um, so I have one boy. I just can't fathom adopting four, four boys at one time. And so uh, Paige went up to the mom after the service and said, that was beautiful. But I got to ask you a question. Like, are you crazy? Like, what were y'all thinking? And she said, the mom laughed and said, yeah, well, what's funny is we were only supposed to get three boys. But we went to Russia, to the orphanage. They have to stay for a certain amount of time, connecting with the boys, paperwork, all of the logistics that have to get done. And on the last day, or near the end, um, they were getting ready to go. 
And the youngest of the three boys says, I can't go unless my bed buddy comes. And so you have to ask the question, what's a bed buddy? And the young boy explained that the bed buddy was his best friend in the orphanage that would crawl out of his bed and crawl into his friend's bed every night so they wouldn't have to be alone. And this young boy said, I will not go. I cannot leave my bed buddy. And so the mom said, we went for three, but came back with four. They couldn't leave him behind. Which is an amazing story of that family, right? Like, who does that? But what's most amazing, I think, is that little boy who, and I don't want to project anything, I don't know what it's like to be an orphan, I don't know what that's like, I'm sure it's complicated emotions, but, but before him it is everything he wants. Before him is a home and a family and, and everything to leave the orphanage and to go be a part of this loving family. But he was willing to give all that up unless his friend came with him. The most amazing part about the gospel, I think, is that Jesus refuses to be in glory for eternity without his bride. He will bring his church with him. That he delights in rescuing us. He delights in making us perfect. He delights in spending eternity with us as his perfect bride. That's what it means to be found. And so what does it mean to live as a found person? Three things and then we'll close. To live as a found person is to know that you're not enough, but Jesus is. You're not enough and that's okay. To put down the expectations upon ourselves, to be the found sheep who knows the strength of its Savior every day. But then second, to be a found sheep means repentance. That's what Jesus calls us to here. Heaven's more excited about one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. The mark of being a found sheep is to admit, I fail and I sin, but Jesus is perfect. A life of repentance. And then third, what it means to be a found person is to not be surprised by the brokenness of this world. Remember who was most attracted to Jesus? Prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners. That Jesus, though he called out sin, though he called to repentance, he was never shocked by the brokenness of the world. That what a lost sheep should never be surprised by is other lost sheep who don't know the way home. But that we as found sheep know that there is a good shepherd to point the world to. Are we found people by the good Savior, the good shepherd? Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that this parable is true. That Jesus, you are the one that leaves the 99, that leaves glory to go get his church, his bride. And we pray, Lord, that though we have wandering hearts, though we are prone to wander, may we continually find, Jesus, you more and more beautiful. And to rest knowing that though we are not enough, you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.